and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Randy Deckard here with me. How are you, Randy? I am fabulous for a Tuesday. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, let me tell you guys a little bit about Randy. She is a clinical scientist turned accomplished executive with an extensive entrepreneurial mindset and extensive experience in developing and implementing transformational customer-centric strategies designed to propel revenue, optimize operations, and enable rapid, sustainable organizational growth. She aligns high-performance teams with the corporate vision, forges value-added partnerships at all levels of the organization, and delivers tactical roadmaps to unlock business value. So I just love the fact that you were a scientist and now you're on the commercial side of the business. So tell us, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I was a nerd. Um, I profess that was me and math and physics was my jam. So um, clinical scientist, wanted to be a pathologist. And my pathologist professor is like, what are you doing hanging out in the morgue? You are so gregarious. Have you considered... <laughs> So true story, I got into the commercial side of lab and then life sciences, oncology, and had an opportunity to transition into an individual contributor role. So I made the decision to take a step down in title and pay, make a lateral move, and haven't looked back. Wow. Since then, gone from you know individual contributor to over commercial operations client relations vp of sales twice and now i'm over sales marketing customer success at bessler and you know healthcare professional services and software wow okay so one of the things that i want us to talk about is the value of allyship and mentorship so you mentioned that there was a professor who said, this is not your calling. Mm -hmm. Tell me, how did that impact your career? Well, honestly, I resisted. <laughs> Futile is resistance. I didn't see it in myself. And sometimes you need someone to see things in yourself that you don't see and open up the possibilities. But once I saw there was a, a door open or a different path for me, I just kept taking different doors and being open to that. So like I said, I think it's being open, having someone you trust who um, really sees you and your skill set and what you could be really good at, even if you can't see it in yourself is super, super important. So as you kind of transition through your career, how did you use that early lesson of somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in myself? And so I resisted it, but... I needed that push. How do you use that as a lesson as a leader? So now whenever, you know, just as I've grown, whenever someone gives me something new or different, you know, I'm always like, what if, or how does this work? And then as I'm mentoring people, my greatest gift is like, don't reinvent the wheel like how I did. Like, this is what I see. And if you're open to it, these are all the doors that you have open. And I actually have a team member that I've worked with for, oh my gosh, since 2017. She was on operations, brought her over to marketing as an SDR, got her into, actually, she's now a marketing manager, kind of doing leading webinars, community. She just went to inbound. She didn't see it in herself. And my favorite thing is lean in. So lean into the uncomfortable because that's where the growth is, not just for myself, but as I'm mentoring. And that is my favorite saying, lean in. <laughs> mm, 
I love that. Lean in and lean in and get out of your own way, right? Mm -hmm. Because Many times, if we don't lean in and get out of our head or stop ourselves from moving forward, we actually can be preventing something really amazing that is happening in our life or our career. Right. And I, I think the other thing, too, is removing the blinders. So, you know, like the horse where they have the thing like you can there can be doors. But if you're like this and not open, you missed yeah. it. Right. And yeah. I've stepped through doors that, you know, weren't maybe popular from my peers and colleagues, they're like, why are you doing that? Why are you stepping away? Why are you going less? And I just say, you do you, you do your own journey. You are the only one who knows what makes your heart sing, where your passion is. And for me, my passion is helping and truly being customer obsessed. And for me, customer obsessed means existing prospective clients, employees, it's everyone in my network, right? So it's not just one thing. And if you think about that ecosystem and being customer obsessed and helping, there's just so many doors that open up. And that's why I went like client relations to sales, just because mm. customer success to sales was a natural progression. But because I obsess about the customer and data, I think that's what makes me really good at sales. Ah, customer <laughs> data centric. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's why we've been circling around each other for so long on LinkedIn. So you said there was a point in your career where you decided to take a step back, mm -hmm. but you felt that it was important for the trajectory of your career. What were the, the things that you used to decide whether this was a good decision or not a good decision? So for me, it was... Number one, I have a degree. I'm at the top of my game. I was director of a lab. I could always go back to it. So I didn't want to have regrets. And for me, it was really about if I don't try it now, when will I try it? And what do I have to lose? And so that's always like, I'm like, what do I have to lose? What's the worst thing that can happen? It's the same thing in sales. What's the worst thing that can happen? Someone says no. Okay, <laughs> next. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so just in being a scientist actually helps because doing research, I'm programmed to fail and be like, it's nothing. Failure is just part of the process. You try, you try, you try. And so that, that part wasn't weird for me. It was just the new part, if that makes sense. As you said that, that actually triggered something in me. When I started my business, I was like, I mean, I know how to sell. So if this doesn't work out, I'll just go get a job as a salesperson, right? Right. It's taking those risks. It's like, I can bet on myself because I've been really, really good mm -hmm. at this thing before. And I many times I feel like people don't take those risks because they're scared of failing. And it's like, what is the worst that can happen? Like, yeah. what is the worst that can happen? And what happens if you decide not to try and then you're still unhappy, right? right? Like you never know. Yeah. And I, like I said, I think it's interesting because I have colleagues now who are, you know, how can I do what you did? How can I transition from something that I've been doing for a long time? And I'm just like, think about all the things that you do in your skill set and how they're transferable. And it requires you to kind of flex your creative muscle because as a scientist, I was trained for quality and process management. And if you look at that, how does that apply to sales? Well, sales, we're always trying different motions, you know, in our GTM, inbound, outbound, testing, AB, you know, all of those things. And it's knowing which lever to pull. 
And then quality is like, are you getting the right outcome? Do I need to change? So it's all those iterative things. And like I said, so really (laughs) sales and science is not that far apart. (laughs) Listen, I, my podcast actually used to be called the science of selling STEM, right? right? Because what I know and just what you know, it's like, okay, you're trying this, you're trying that. And so I go back to my chemist brain. I only change one variable at a time. We're not exactly. changing everything, right? Let me change this one variable. Let me make sure that it works out. And so having that process oriented brain, it allows you to think through problems differently. And I really hope that anyone who is listening to this, if they're in a technical role or if they're in a sales role, they realize that your skills are transferable. You're yeah. not just stuck in what you have done for five, 10, 15, or even 20 years. You know, one of the other things I will add is, you know, in science documentation rules, if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. And if you document it, you have something to look back for those patterns, right? And in sales, we're sometimes we're looking at certain what I call lagging indicators or to make assumptions and test. But, you know, with AI now, we can do more predictives, but you've got to document like in the sales process, knowing where your leads come from. You know, are you having success in a certain area or another? Where do you want to double down? What do you want to let go of? And like you said, that one lever at a time. So just like I said, you just got to take a creative bent to what you already know and how it could be applied. And then, of course, tell your story of how you would do that. (laughs) So as you were going from, so you stepped into an individual contributor role Mm -hmm. and then you moved into management. Mm -hmm. How did that go? What was that path like for you? So I was fortunate. I had someone who really recruited me saying, hey, we think you would be great in this individual contributor role. We need someone who can talk to pathologists, talk their language, geek out with them, but still sell. And after a year, I blew out of the water what they thought the revenue expectations would be. And they're like, okay, if you can do that, can you teach other people? And I'm like, yes, I can. I can teach other people how to do this. And so literally I was given the opportunity to write my own playbook based on my learnings and I built a team and literally every client that we onboarded, by the time I left that organization, we had onboarded 800 clients and it was all because of the playbook that I created as I was going along because I was given the freedom and that playbook I've taken with me to every single organization and adapted it to either that product, service, software, industry, because I have changed from life sciences to oncology to tech to RCM. It doesn't matter. It's about taking that process and framework and looking at what you're doing and how does this apply? And once again, what are the variables and sitting down and architecting intentionally how you're going to go to market. Mmm, that's so good. So rich, a lot that we're going to unpack. The first part that we're going to unpack is I literally had this question today in a group of small business owners that I work with. And someone asked, well, we talked a lot about hiring employees. How do we retain them? Mm -hmm. And I literally told them what you just said, empower them. They're doing really good at their job. Ask them to create a process, ask them to create Like, how do you do this? Put it on paper, have them train other people. And you don't realize how much empowerment you are giving a person, whether they're an individual contributor or a manager or secretary, it doesn't matter by asking them to create something based on what they've done. And you got that opportunity. Yes, I was very fortunate. And I worked with someone that we had obviously regular check-ins, 
these are the outcomes I'm getting. And of course, you know, they gave feedback as I was going along. But like I said, having that freedom to really create and build and then seeing positive outcomes, sorry, um, really, you know, help motivate me. And I'm really good at taking something complex and distilling it. And ultimately, like I didn't know medic or challenger or Hyman. I didn't know any Miller Hyman. I didn't know any of those things. What I did know is I was customer obsessed. How can I help you? And sales is just a conversation. So also taking things that are complex, distilling it and giving frameworks for other people based on how they learn, based on how they are and how they talk and letting them be flexible with a framework and process so they can be successful. I think you're like my long lost sister. This is like everything. I'm like, oh, like, wow. Literally, I'm like, I'm listening to myself talk because that is what I say is my superpower. It's like this very, and I know for me, it came from having to sell this complex capital equipment. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'm working with lab techs and they don't get this stuff, right? right. And sometimes I'm working with PhD chemists and engineers mm -hmm. and I have to talk to them on a different level. Mm -hmm. But again, like we said, it just translates way into to sales. So that playbook you created, what is the importance? Tell us why it is so important to have playbooks and documentation and processes for your team internally, for your team externally, all around. So one, I look at process and frameworks. That's, that's the guardrails, right? This is setting expectations of how we want to operate. And, you know, I want to, at being customer obsessed, and thinking about my whole ecosystem for customers, I have a certain point of view of, of how I want them to experience end to end, how they, you know, learn about our brand, how they interact through the sales process, onboarded, implemented customer success. And internally, I want people to really truly understand, you know, how we should talk internally and then externally. And if you don't have those guardrails, how can they do that? But you've got to give people the, there's got to be flexibility, right? And that's why I say it's all about guardrails and making sure that you have the way you train. It's not just like a static document. It's dynamic, right? It's always changing. And also whether it's video, phone calls, role play, you know, having them live with a customer, everyone learns differently. And and finding out how do you learn? How do you learn best? Like I'm a really visual person, but I'm also a real doer. Like I have to do something before I understand it. And some people don't know how they learn best. And so that's, once again, as a leader, how do you figure that out? And it's by finding out what resonates with them. And once you find that, allowing them to be their authentic selves, because it's a human to human, like sales is just a conversation, human to human. And if you're not authentic and you're not comfortable in the language you're using, or, you know, how you talk about it, people sense that, right? So no one may speak exactly the same, but we say the same message, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's really important to have that flexibility and process and framework is, is those guardrails. It's your baseline. How do you know that you're being successful if you don't know where you started? <laughs> how do you know what you need to change if you don't know and you're not documenting, tracking what's working well? You gotta know which levers to pull and what to let go of. And that's that's all part of having that foundation with a, those guardrails. So if you could go back and do it all over again, I know this is a living document, something that you've lived, breathed, mm -hmm. done for a while. What advice would you give someone starting out to try to really build this playbook or this framework? 
I think, one, first off, take the 360 view, the highest level of what you want a customer to experience, and then work end to end. And as you're documenting what you want the customer experience, because people need to realize no one cares about our product services or what we sell. They have a problem that they need to solve, and that's the crux. So be customer obsessed. If you can get that out of your head, you are helping people and you're not going to be able to help everyone. Not everyone is going to be for you and your business. And like I said, but really get really clear how you're going to impact or add value to the customer and obsess about that. That will help you. How do you get someone who is very product and solution focused, how do you switch them from being so focused on what the company is doing to really being customer centric? I think that, you know, the best way is to expose people to customers. You don't know what you don't know. So I've worked at companies, you know, when I, when I was onboarding and, you know, my first 90 days, I sat with people and I remember having a conversation with the CEO and it was my first week. And he's like, so how are things going? And I'm like, you know, product doesn't, hasn't talked to any customers. So how do they know what customers think? And he's like, what do you mean they haven't talked to customers? And I'm like, I'm dragging them with me. They're coming with me. And so one of my big things or mantra is one team, one goal. And I link arms with everyone that I can because number one, we're all in it together, but everyone has to have the same point of view for the customer no matter what they're doing in that role. And the best way is to get them exposed to customers, how customers talk, how customers use the product, what they say. And honestly, you know, doing that and getting them connected to a customer and hearing it is just so impactful. And I live and breathe when my team meets, we always start with a customer story, right? Mm. Why? Because we're all here because we have customers and we're solving their problems. So I'm a huge, huge fan of just obsessing over. <laughs> and when people, like I said, if, you do, if you've never been exposed to a customer, having those interactions just gives you a different perspective. And then you start to think differently. Absolutely. I 100% agree. If you have a very um, technical staff and they don't really go out in the field. And so I even use this as a bit of empathy for the field salespeople or the salespeople because they're like, oh, this is what you do all the time? Like you, you travel, mm -hmm. all, like you're staying in hotels all the time? Mm -hmm. So when you call in and you're asking me to help you with something and I act like I don't have time, mm -hmm. it's because you're standing in front of the customer, right? right? So it helps them build empathy for the sales force mm -hmm. as well as they see, they hear the customer. They can hear how excited they are about using your product or your service, right? And so it's like, okay, the work I'm doing, it's impacting people. Mm -hmm. I'm not just sitting in this box doing nothing. So I love that really getting people out in front of the customers, getting them, um, hearing the language and even using the language of the customer, right? Like yeah. I know for even a marketing team, sometimes they're kind of in a silo and they don't, they're a few steps away from the customer. So them doing the same thing is just as impactful. Absolutely. And even like some of our developers, you know, not just product, but developers, you know, I think one of the, the greatest things that I heard, I was at an all company and I was sharing some customer stories and this developer literally enthusiastically stood up and said, I get it. Now I get how it's all connected and what we're doing and how it's impacting. Like, and it was just, it was such an awesome moment. 
Because even though they hadn't sat in front of a customer, making sure that you continually share those stories and what people are doing and how impactful it is, even if they don't get a chance to sit in front of a customer, is so crucial. And that starts from leadership all the way down. And one of my favorite books is you know, The Chief Customer Officer by Jeannie Bliss. I think she's called the godmother of customer service and experience. And literally, you know, it's all about obsessing with the customer. And would you, how would you talk to your mother or explain something? It's about keeping it simple, right? And then also being human, right? In business. And I just, anyways, I just love it. That's awesome. So under your tutelage, it seems like you have three distinct departments. Yes. Um, how do you integrate those three and how do you, how do you bring them together and how do you treat them as their own separate entities, if you will? Right. So first off, we have a, like I said, one team, one goal. So I do meet as a whole team. So I have my marketing, sales, customer success, and we have one large goal. Of course, that gets broken out amongst the teams. And we're an exception, you know, as you know, in sales, there's sometimes a rub between sales and marketing. And true story, my gal just came back from inbound and she's like, I didn't know that was a thing that there was kind of a rub because she's only worked at our organization and she's never experienced that. And so we're always working together. How can we get the best outcome? And so I have frontline manager in marketing, frontline manager on sales and customer success. And we break out after our one team, one goal. And how are we going to achieve those? So we all talk the same. We want the customer to have the same point of view, the same experience with us. And we work together to make that happen. And it's all about how can we help each other to win because as a team, we win. And so once again, there's no rivalry between us. And I think that's just, once again, it's partly culture but partly really obsessing about the customer. And we all want the same thing to happen. We want to keep our customers. We want them to have a great experience. We want to raise awareness and bring new customers in. And we all work together towards the same goal. Mm, one team, one goal. Mm -hmm. Because why are we competing? Not we all work for the same company. What? Yeah, like exactly. marketing is not better than sales, customer right. success. Is it upselling more than like, I mean, all of the things it's like, we all work together. And I really like the fact that you guys have a full team meeting. And I think it's really important whether there's only a one leader at the top of all of those departments or not to meet. So you guys can hear each other's struggles. What are the goals? What are the things that are working well for marketing? It may help customer success and really understand and integrate them. And as your employee said, which I think is a great testament to the work that you're doing, in a lot of organizations, it's like oil and water. It's, I'm like, it should be like peanut butter and jelly, but it's not, right? <laughs> we are all trying to go to the common goal. Yeah, and the other thing is when we do our training, we train together as a team as well. So our marketing team gets exposed to sales, customer success, and obviously vice versa. It's blended. And obviously we do have specific just sales and, and customer success, but we do have general meetings where everyone gets and hears the same because I want them to understand what their colleagues are going through and the challenges they have. And sometimes the other person from that other area has a different perspective and thought we talk about no ego, safe space, no idea is, is dumb. And honestly, some of our best ideas have come from the other departments because sometimes people get a little bit stuck in what they're doing, right? So I'm just a huge fan of One Team, One Goal. That's awesome. 
So October is Women in Sales Month. It's like, you know, it's like Christmas for women in sales, right? right. Um, and so this podcast all month long, I am interviewing fabulous women in sales like yourself. And so as a woman in sales leadership, share with us one of the hardest experiences or things that you've encountered being a woman in sales or being a woman in sales leadership. So the hardest thing I have encountered is having a female leader who is not supportive. And I knew that as I became a leader and had a team reporting to me, I knew what good looked like and not looked like. And that was really hard, but I'm actually glad I went through it because it taught me a lot of what bad looked like. And because of that, I am a cheerleader for my team, very supportive. And as a woman, I want to ensure that everyone has, you know, opportunities. And, you know, I'm always very, from a mentor perspective, words matter, right? I'm not pushy. I get things done. Mm. You know, I'm not aggressive. I have a, you know, a strong point of view, but words matter. And, you know, hearing that from another woman leader is hard. And I am very fortunate because I've had a lot of great women that I've worked with and in my tribe. And, you know, I just urge people that think about how you would want to be treated Mm. and, I'm not just a glass half kind of, you know, full kind of gal as far as, you know, people's success. There's another glass. Like I can cheer you on and your successes and your, you being a business. It doesn't take away from me, right? And my success. There is more than enough to go around from anyone. Grab another glass, raise a glass, cheer. And that is, that is one of, one of my biggest things is that I never wanted to be a female leader that was jealous or put others down because I felt like my light was being dimmed. Heck no, grab another glass, raise a glass for them. Yes, yes. I often tell people my best manager was a woman and my worst manager was a woman. And so, you know, uh, sometimes people like to put women leaders in boxes, but we're all unique. And the lessons that you learned, and as you said, because I do what I do today because of some of the worst leaders that I had in my career. Because I know what bad looked like and I know how I felt Mm -hmm. working for those people. And so for me, it is a complete honor that the people who work for me are like, you're the best person I've ever worked for in my life. Like literally, because you take those lessons. And then I love that. I, I use cupcakes. I love cupcakes. And I'm like, everybody can have a slice of cake. Like we don't need to cut this up and they're stop no. giving people crumbs. Like we don't need to leave crumbs behind. Like everybody can have a slice of cake. And thank you so much for sharing that. Leadership is a privilege and I really take that to heart. And I, like I said, just had to add that because it's a privilege to have the opportunity and I never want to take that for granted. And I never want to make someone feel less than. Absolutely. I'd like to say it is an honor and a privilege to do this work, right? We are Mm -hmm. impacting lives and I never just think about the people who work for me. I think about their families. I think Mm -hmm. about their children, right? Because that is the way when we create this culture of inclusiveness, of having a work environment where they can share their ideas, that flows into their work life. Because they don't, you don't leave yourself at home or at work, right? You take that whole person home. And so that is how we show up and impact lives. Absolutely. What is the lesson that you would tell your younger self, young Randy, when she was getting into sales? I wish I would have started my networking earlier 
and connecting with other sales leader earlier on, as soon as I did that, like not having to ever reinvent the wheel or having people in my network that was diversified who'd done different things, that would be probably the biggest thing that I didn't do earlier on that when I started, I was like, oh my gosh, man. And just having different perspectives and people you could talk to, super advantageous. And that's one of the things I say now is that I'm not afraid of anything because if I can't personally figure it out, I have people in my network that I can go to. I don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? And there's no shame in asking for help. I love that. Don't just put your head down and work. Yeah. <laughs> like network, um, realize that even if there's somebody who you think is a competitor or somebody who's a few levels above you, all you have to do is ask. It kind of goes back to what we talked in the beginning. You just ask and maybe they say no, but that's okay. The next person will say yes. And the person right. after that will say yes, right? So you just, you really have to build that network because even as I was in the corporate realm, after my very first sales job, I never applied again. People recommended right. me, right? Like right. that's that's what happens. People send me business now based on who I am and what mm -hmm. they worked with me. And so having that network is so key to your success. Right. And even as a leader, you always have a mentor, right? Like, or even as an individual, so always have a mentor. And even as a leader, I still have mentors today, right? Like, so yeah. it doesn't matter. Even if you're C-suite, C-suite will still get coaching and mentoring, right? So never stop that. That's never too early to start that as well. It was hard never. just to pick one. <laughs> fantastic conversation as i said i feel like we're cut from the same cloth i'm like oh yeah that's what i say oh yep mm -hmm. like i'm <laughs> listening to myself this has been such an amazing conversation if people want to get in contact with you what is the one best way so the best place is linkedin um, is where i hang out um, you can dm me would love to connect with other leaders always happy to help support you know other women and just answer, you know, general questions that come up in people's day to day. Like, I always feel we're better together. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much again, Randy, for your time, your talent and your expertise. It has been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much, Wesleyan. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, it's Women in Sales Month. Have a great month.